This is Mariah Matthews. I'm Stephanie Avila. And you are listening to Art and Isms. Hello? Hey, Steph. Yo, meet me at the intersection of Art and Isms. Why? What's up? There are artists using their platforms to create social change. Oh, cool. How are we getting there? We're going to get there via poetry, music, and fashion. What does that even mean? It means we are covering the movement where artistic expression and social activism intersect and the collision of what becomes is the rebirth of a better nation. There we will see that when an artist creates, a society remakes, and the generations that follow become liberated. You coming? Now I got you. I'm there. There are so many smooth lyricists that hail from the greater Newark area. From your Rodigas and your Redmans to your Lauren Hills and Amiri Barakas to, to your Jasmine Manns. Yes, Jasmine Manns. She's an internationally known poet and author, a graduate from Newark Arts High School, an alumni of University of Wisconsin-Madison's first wave program for poetry. A few years ago, she was in Glamour Magazine's top 10 most influential women in college. And she's previously opened shows for Pharrell, Most Deaf, and Janelle Monet. She's most well-known for her poems, You Gonna Get This Work, Dear Ex-Lover, I Know You Didn't Mean to Kill Him, The Miseducation of a Barbie Doll, on Nicki Minaj, and Footnotes for Kanye, which is about an artist's responsibility to the places they come from. The ex-Drivers Row poet has been described to have poems with teeth. Her poems have a bite only the bricks can handle. She's both an observer and a critic, addressing and sparking conversations around artists' responsibility and accountability to their communities. The Brick City Burgs artists that hold magnitudes in their mouths, in their palettes, on their pages, that fight earthquakes with their pens. Slow your roll, sis. Jasmine is the poet we're interviewing here. Let's roll that tape. I've lost all my favorite toys, bleached my favorite browns and stained my only whites. I like suffering and suffocating. My tears know patterns on my face they are not yet ready to unlearn. Sometimes my scars cough dirt from their lungs. My stitches be unraveling. I don't know if my skin was made for getting comfortable with. I don't know if it grows old or softens in the sunset. My mirrors know their place. My place hasn't been shaved or apologized to since last vacant. Tell me, what do you want with my ashes? My hair, my hip bones, my breasts, my bone marrow. Speak to me of what your barbaric fascination with my skin is. How much am I worth? In your sheets, on your altar, atop of your auction block. What do you think will happen when you set the black girl on fire? Her ashes will decorate the lungs of all the men who tried to take her from herself. Soot will pour from their mouths and we will watch them choke. Maybe we'll call it karma. After how I revive myself, after the moment you realize your shadow was merely the spirit of a black girl that lingers in your distance to remind you of how the f*** you got here, today you are the hunted and the haunted. I will prance in your darkness. I will be big and masterful in my arrival, swift in my exit. I will glow, bear fangs, leave blood trails. I am the black girl you cannot kill. Oh, oh, what a thought. What a bold, handsome thought of a woman who's only supposed to speak when spoken to, a deer in the face of the righteous man, greet me, take my bags, welcome me home, 
get used to me. I'm your mother's sister on her father's side. I'm sure she never mentioned me. You can find the resemblance in the collard greens. And if you so want to see a fire, flesh running on fire, be it at your own will, be it your flesh, be it your bones, your bones, you will notice how sacrifice comes with a stench you'll have to pass down to your own children. It will be the tallest tale for them to stomach. It will be the stench of your own kin. It will be poetic and colorful, something to remember always. Fire, a poem you wrote about a black woman's fight Mm -hmm. and journey to be safe, protected, loved, has resonated with me. And I quote, what do you think will happen when you set the black girl on fire? Her ashes will decorate the lungs of all the men who tried to take her from herself. Soup will pour from their mouths and we will watch them choke. What lesson did you want to convey to your listeners when you wrote that? Mm, I wanted it to, to, to feel ugly, to like to, for people to have this idea that everybody will, that will pay for, for what they've done to the woman, what they've done to the black woman. And then this idea of like the black woman always having to be um, the savior, the one who, who fixes things, the one who can deal and embody and handle the pain all the time. And so it's like, what do you think will happen? Um, or the idea of going back to like the Salem witch trials of like, like what, what do you actually think will happen when you set a woman on fire, when you try to pull a woman apart? Yeah, she will, she will break apart, right? She, she, you, you will hurt her just like you intend to, but then you will, you will have to deal with what comes with that. Um, and so I guess that also speaks to the magic of what women are and how I, I came up, not I came up, but I was writing this quote of, of the black woman never dies, or I never knew a black girl to die. Um, and so always, or even like today, when we're like, remember Sandra Bland, or remember all of these women say her name, like I've never known a black woman to die. That, that the idea, the, the memory of, of, of the women who have passed are resurrected in the thought and in the, the militant minds of the new girls, the new black generation of girls to come. Tell us about how you became a writer and why. Uh, how I became a writer. I was a part of uh, the New Jersey Orators, which was this kind of speaking program for young kids of color. Um, we would we would develop speaking skills and then we w- would go to competitions. And I remember uh, th- our coaches always teaching us Maya Angelou and Nikki Giovanni. And um, one day I attempted to write a poem on my own because I was just so frustrated with, with doing other people's work and, and didn't understand the value of what it meant to do Phenomenal Woman and say that out loud, memorized as a black girl. And so I... Uh, I went home and I wrote something simply because I wanted to do something of my own and I felt like it would be easier. And so I remember ever since that, I don't know, maybe I was like maybe 10 or 11. Um, and ever since that, I just kept writing. I completely understand that as a poet as well. Yeah. Um, I feel like poems are your anthems. Growing up, you were a Newark debater. Mm. What was that experience like, and how did that help you in your career? I guess it helped me learn early on that I could compete against white kids and also beat them. 
and um and that was something that uh, a lot of my peers don't grow up knowing or understanding and at an early age if anyone knows speech and debate we kind of practice like crazy so it would be Monday and through Friday competition practice and so we, we would be learning poems practicing poems learning monologues and practicing them and then every Saturday all Saturday from literally 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. we would be competing in like the suburbs and these beautiful beautiful schools I remember being at one school and looking in this room that was completely padded and not understanding why the whole room was padded and it was for the wrestling team and I was like holy crap they have a padded room for and like I've seen incredible like monumental things like at other schools that intimidated me that scared me I saw the difference between how the white students were dressed and how me and my friends were dressed coming from arts high school in the middle of Newark New Jersey and I remember that early on intimidation and fear. Then you can see the difference in the pieces that they choose and the pieces that you choose. Like we took that as an opportunity to talk about race issues and violence and, and the things that matter to us. And it was so easy for our white peers to like perform pieces by, by Junie B. Jones or to just be, uh, just to be funny and, and to use literature to be happy and that was so interesting to learn early on to see how young people white and black used literature differently how we used it as a source of of freedom and storytelling of like propaganda of necessity and how um i saw my white peers use it as a form of leisure and entertainment and i learned so much through speech and debate how to talk, how to do things. And I remember giving so much credit for my poetry career to so many other things. And I realized that like, it was speech and debate, being able to debate for 10 minutes or to stand on stage and perform for 10 minutes and to not mess up one time and to be, to be uh, criticized and judged through every performance um, is something that I definitely miss. What is the favorite poem you've ever written? Mm. There are times where I, I want to literally see the audience happy and in love. And so I perform love poems that make me so happy to perform. It all depends. Like, there are days where I want to be a rapper and I'm thinking, like, lyrically in terms of bars and syllables. And um, I like some of the the more fast uh, lyrical stuff that I have, like this work or I Know You Didn't Mean to Kill Him or... Uh, even footnotes for Kanye. Let's listen to a clip of footnotes for Kanye. Can you hear all the black kids calling your name? Wondering why the boy who rapped about his mama getting arrested for the sit-ins didn't sit in. Why he traded why why he traded in his Nat Turner for Ralph Lauren. Do you know how many kids at the protest had your sneakers on? None of them. Do you know? Do you know how many of your songs were played at the protest? All of them. Could you hear all of the lights, the flashing lights, the new slaves, the runaways on their road to redemption, waiting for Malcolm West to have the whole world at attention? They got you quiet. Like, how come only at award shows he riots? Maybe, maybe Jesus was all talk. Jesus never needed Adidas to walk. I had this nasty feeling in my stomach when it came to Kanye. 
But like I didn't want to listen to him. None of his music seemed good enough to listen to two or three times. Um, and I was frustrated with him. Then I was frustrated with Kim Kardashian. And on top of that, I was critical about it to the point where like it sound a bit jealous. And I didn't understand like where these feelings were coming from and if it were okay to have such feelings for a person that you didn't even know, never met before. Um, so I remember for a while feeling like that. And then it hit this one point. I don't remember exactly when, but I was just like, write this down, take notes. So I started writing a lot of notes. And I think I might still have the file on my computer of like maybe 20 pages of notes of like, why is he saying this? I don't like Kanye because I don't feel like he's representing the black community properly. I don't like Kanye because I don't think that that the woman that he's with represents this idea of blackness that, that he made me think he embodied. Um, and I started writing these notes to myself and then the words started to rhyme and then the poem began to form. And the first, the first lines to the poem were actually um, why you got these white folks claiming you? Like they built you, like they made you, like they polished you, like they. That was the first stanza, but you know that 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 comes like well at the end of the poem, and and I wanted to give the poem a strong voice of who who is talking to him, and is it a girl who once loved him? Is it a girl who was in love with his work? Is it a girl who knew him deeply? And so I wanted to build a strong voice. And then magically it came together because he already wrote all most of the lyrics that, that I was saying in, in the poem, that I repeated a lot of things and flipped a lot of things back. And um, that wasn't my intention when I first started. But um, And like all of these different moments, I guess you don't see how your lives is affecting me. You don't see how our lives we're supposed to be. And then the idea that Kanye started off in the poetry slam, not like start like that's where his career started, but like you you know what it means to be at the open mic. And so this this full circle irony of like having your poem being spit back to you, like bittersweet poetry is what you performed at Deaf Poetry. And now a poet is performing something very bittersweet back to you. And so I, it was, I feel like was this full circle arsenal of of language that he created that was coming back to haunt him. That poem was a very long, interesting, interesting journey for me that um, that I'm very proud of to watch grow because I thought that it stopped growing at one point um, and then it grew even bigger than I would have imagined and then even more. And so um, I I think that was one of the first or second or maybe third times in, in my career that I've watched my art grow. And um, it was beautiful to watch, and it was beautiful to watch others engage with it. Even today, when I'm watching his most recent interview, and he's talking about uh, daughters? porn. Nah, I still look at Pornhub, and <laughs> <laughs> a lot of, a lot of uh, black on white, obviously. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's mirroring your own self, your own situation. And, and that touched yeah. so deeply on like fetishizing white women. And um, and is there a, a, a thought of post-traumatic slave syndrome? And is the white woman the black man's prize? Um, 
does the black man really feel like he won something when he can get the white woman that so many people fantasize or like? Um, is this white woman the standard of America? Um, is this his standard? Is he following a standard that was created for him? And the poem is supposed to be the catalyst to make us ask these questions. And so I think that it's doing that now even more than ever. And and I'm more excited about what what questions people are going to ask and what conversations people are going to have around it. And, and that's as much as I can ask for. I know you have your poem, your Nicki Minaj poem that mm-hmm. you've written years ago. I've listened to You Gonna Get This Work. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to know... What would you say to people who think you slut shame in your work? Oh wow! Um, no one's ever asked me that. Um, um, all right, so uh, I guess we can start with the Nicki Minaj poem. What do you treasure? You've turned your G spot into a landmine, thinking yourself dirty, disgusting, for for a woman like you to stop stiletto on history. This microphone is not a dildo, so you're gonna have to come. Vagina and womanhood all sold separately. You are being stabbed in your back. Inserted with wind up string and tag. Roger that. There is, I guess, some language that could be seen as slut shaming. Um, but the intention wasn't to slut shame. The intention was to speak to the fact that. Um, we tell black women and we tell women in general that in order to exist in the industry that they have to be sexually appealing. And then what what do we say to women who actually fall into that, who really genuinely believe or or have to follow this notion of in order to be valuable in this industry, in order to get the credit that I deserve, in order to rise in this patriarchy that uh, that I have to be sexual, that I have to have sex with the right people. And where does that stop? And, um, and, and why do we have to participate even when we don't want to? And yes, a lot of people when I wrote the piece was saying to me like, but little Kim did it first and such and such did it before her and blah, 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 blah. And so this says something that like, this is, this is a pattern. I spoke to Nicki Minaj in my poem because she's what I've grown up seeing when I was at an age where I can like, listen and enjoy music and then also dissect it and then also understanding her work and understanding her bars and like thinking creatively about like a woman who has such strong incredible wordplay who can take on so many different voices creatively like that's not some easy to do especially like coming from a world of speech when you know what it takes to take on characters that are also creative and so when you have a woman with that height of creativity, why are we diluting that with rhymes about about sex? That was more so my angle. Why is he outlining sneakers when the south side is outlined in chalk? Can someone... Your poetry book, Chalk Outlines of Snow Angels, could you explain the title for us? I guess that had to be 2010. It was based off of a piece of artwork that I saw across the street from my house growing up on Leslie Street and um, 
I always told myself if I were ever to write a book, it would be called Chalk Outlines of Snow Angels. And the idea of the ugly and the beautiful, um, essentially, like, if there is a chalk outline at the time when there is snow on the ground, that kind of doesn't exist. And so the idea of something not existing and not being real, but then the idea of a snow angel being something that a kid would make, something so innocent and pure and beautiful, and then a chalk outline representing the outline of something dead, a dead body, and juxtaposing those two things. Like The book is that, of juxtaposing um, beauty, but also death. And so in 2012, I published a book that was more about my city, about what I've seen, about what I've heard, about what it feels like, about what I wanted to understand. And um, and then now, as an adult, like I have adult eyes that are participating in the things that I wrote about, about black kids like not understanding violence, about black kids being martyrs, about um, mothers and grandmothers who can't afford this new city and, and but who talk about it from their front porches. And so, like, I think it's an interesting thing to be an adult and to participate in this city and then to also find my words. And so I haven't, a lot hasn't changed, but I guess I've matured, evolved. And so it's like I was supposed to become this person, like, inquisitive and, and critical of this city. But I have the same love and the same interest. How does it feel? What does it mean to be in and of Newark? The funny thing is, I was asked that question yesterday, and this is this is my home definitely. And so I feel this uh, this sense of, I guess, duty to my city. I owe. I feel like I owe my city something, and so um, I take everything personally. Um, being creative here, uh, the kids here, the gentrification here, the art here. Um, I want to be personally invested in this space, and I've never felt that way about another space before. What is the connection between art and activism? Propaganda. I think W.E.B. Du Bois said, like, all art should be propaganda. All art should seek to to deliver a message, to have a call to action, to, to enforce this idea of change or desire for change. Art and isms, the intersection where artistic expression and social change converge. Hit it, M. You heard the urban word, if you heard it, you know it. If you feeling jazzy man, snap your fingers and show it, she. Writing books like bell hooks, having oranism shook. Poetry, the recipe, Miss Benz is the cook. Throw your pens in the air like you just don't care. Write upon, write a line, if you got that snare. Black woman, authors matter. Metaphors have your brain shatter. Poetry building bridges and ladders. Alright, cut. Art and Isms is a production of WBGO 88.3 FM. This episode was produced by me, Stephanie Avila, and Mariah Matthews. Editorial staff includes Alex Arif, Katie Simon, and Doug Doyle. Thanks to Aaron Smith, a.k.a. Genius, for creating some music for us for this episode. Thanks for listening. Peace.